The only time I knew everything about parenting children was before I had children. Uh, Yeah. The fantasy world of what it's going to be like to be a dad or for you to be a mom and the joy and the ecstasy that children are going to bring into your life. When you run into reality, it's kind of like the bug hitting the windshield. And that's what parenting is. It is, it is joy. It is ecstasy. It is fantasy. I mean, it's all these things, but it's also reality. It's changing diapers and getting up in the middle of the night. It's worrying about your children when they're out driving for the first time after dark. All these things woven into it. There's a reality about being a mom or, or being a dad. And on days like Mother's Day, we think a lot about our growing up. Some of us had a wonderful experience with mothers who loved us and cared for us. And, and quite frankly, some of us had experiences where, where we didn't have such a good experience growing up. Our moms weren't there. They weren't the kind of mom we hoped that they would be, or, or perhaps it was a dad that was like that. As we get to Mother's Day and we celebrate this, this wonderful gift that God has given us of mothers, we also recognize there are a lot of people who are struggling with other issues in their lives. There are women who want to have children that can't have children. There are women who've been through some, some difficulties, who lost a child or perhaps even aborted a child, and there's a lot of emotional issues that go with a day like this. Or, or perhaps on a day like this, there's, there's a sense of, of, of absence in your own life because you know, the family that you expected you to have, you, you just don't have it. Or maybe your child has already passed away and gone to be with the Lord. And there's just so many things that are wrapped up into this. And, and you really, when you go and, and on the shelf and you're, you're looking at Mother's Day cards to pick out, uh, you know, those are all great and glorious, but there are a lot of people who pass by that aisle in the grocery store or in Walmart, and it, it, there's a twinge of pain that comes with it. And we want to recognize that. We want, we want to make sure that, that that's understood. That's a part of the reality. It's not all um, rainbows and flowers. Whether it's the challenge with having children or the challenge of having children, it, it's, it's, it's a still a challenge. And so I sat down this week and I began to think about some of the, the lessons that I would like my children to know, some of the things that I've learned about parenting. And I began to write out a list. I want to encourage you parents to do that because what you're going to discover is You've learned a lot about being a parent once you've been a parent. And I I was going to share some of those with you, but the list was just way too long, and we didn't want to be here till the middle of the afternoon. And so I I began to rethink that, and instead I I began to think, what kind of lessons do we want to share with our kids? And I found a picture, the one, I hope you can see it, the one in the center here of these three children that are walking away. And that put me on a quest to find a lot of these images of children that are walking away. Because, quite frankly, that's what's going to happen one day to our children, our grandchildren. They grow up. They move out. Where that stays in our lives. You, today, our, our kids aren't even here. It's Mother's Day. Uh, they're in their respective places. We get to see them next weekend, but not this weekend. It happens. Those of you who are my age, a little older, you understand this. 
Some of you've got grandchildren who've already eclipsed that. They're graduated. They've moved up. They've gone on. And so what really hit me was when we, when we hug that child as they walk out the door as an adult and we whisper to them, take care of yourself, what do we mean by take care? What are we asking them to take care of? And so over the course of the next three weeks, that's precisely what I want to deal with. We can't cover everything, every lesson you'd want to give your kids. But if you could give them some admonitions, if you could give them some encouragement, take care of yourself, what would that mean in a biblical sense? And so we'll cover that this week, next week, and, and the week after. But, but first, and I think in for, foremost, I think we want to whisper to our children, Take care of your heart. Take care of your heart. Now, I'm not talking about exercise and eat your vegetables. That's helpful. I'm talking about something a little deeper than that. This is a way that Solomon put it as he wrote to his son. Above all else, he says, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Get this. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything that you do flows from it. Now, above all else, that's kind of an attention getter, right? That's saying, hey, listen, this is something you need to prioritize. This needs to go on the top of your to-do list. Focus on this, grasshopper. Pay careful attention If you neglect anything else, don't neglect this. Above all else, guard your heart. One writer, one of those famous ones named Anonymous, said this. The heart is the citadel of the soul. If this is neglected, the enemy at the gates will soon be in and take possession. Set a watch, therefore, upon the heart. Let the sentinel never be off duty, nor sleeping in his post. Guarding the heart is a serious and continuous activity. It's something that can't be neglected even for a moment. Above all else, guard your heart. Now, quite frankly, when we think of heart, we think about romance, right? Because the image of Valentine's Day is this image of a heart which looks actually nothing like the human heart itself. But that's the image we have of the heart. Guard your heart. And so we're thinking of something that has to do with romance and and our idea of the heart. And our idea of this this concept of goes to romance and love. And, And we think about those movies where they have the deep, passionate kisses and the fireworks are going off in the background. And, and we look at that and we go, wow, I, I'd like to have that. I want that in my life. And that's where we get our image of, of the heart and, and what the heart means. But in reality, that's not at all what Scripture's talking about. When Scripture talks about the heart, the biblical view of the heart is that the heart is the center of the emotions, yes, but also of the intellect, the will, and morality. In other words, the heart becomes an all-encompassing thing for us. 
In fact, when they thought about the heart, they thought less about this pump that's going on in your body, and they thought more about the gut. You know how you get in a situation and sometimes your gut just tenses up? That feeling? I mean, you can feel your heartbeat, but that, that feeling... All this was wrapped up together. So, so let's get beyond this image of, of, of rosebuds and rainbows, okay? Let's get beyond that because that is not at all what it ta- says. It means in, in full when it talks about guarding the heart. In part, yes. And we'll get to that in a moment. But not in full. And it's imperative, we're told. Above all else, guard your hearts because Why? Everything you do flows from it. Or as one translation puts it, it is the wellspring of life. Everything springs from the heart. Jesus said the things that come out of a person's mouth come from what? The heart. The things that come out of your mouth, the things that come out of your life, these manifestations, they begin in the heart. Again, not just your emotional center, but your intellectual center, the center of your will, decision-making, the center of your morality. Everything you do flows out of that. Now, think about this. If you were given the responsibility for the city of Greensboro or Union Point or Siloam or 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 out at Reynolds, wherever it is you live, if you were given the responsibility, and this was your primary responsibility, you are to safeguard the water supply. Everything flows from right here. This is the spring. This is your job. You keep the water freely flowing out from here. That's, That's the only job you have. Guard your heart or guard the spring. That You do that. Because you understand that if I don't do that, if this gets clogged up, if I don't pull out the debris and the sticks and the leaves and all these things, if I don't do that, then everything else just goes to pot. It becomes stagnant and brown and smelly. And and we don't want that. We want the water flowing out freely to supply it to everybody else. This is the image we need to have when it talks about out of everything, out of the heart. Everything flows out of the heart. That's why it's so imperative to guard the heart. Think about it. If everything you do comes from it, then it's absolutely critical that you guard it, that you protect it, that you look after your heart. Because, you see, you only guard what's valuable. You only guard what's valuable. I have a a riding lawnmower. It, it, It doesn't work anymore, which means I work more. And it has four flat tires and a dead battery. The alternator doesn't work on it. And it just sits there. You know what? I don't worry at all about putting that up. Now, I don't have it up on blocks in the front yard. I'm not that southern yet. But I don't worry about guarding it. Why? Because it's not valuable to me. If somebody were to steal that, I'd just go, woohoo! I'm thinking about dragging it out to the street and just putting a sign on it that says, don't steal this. But we guard what's valuable. We put locks on it. We put, we put what's valuable in a safe. We give it extra attention and we set alarms. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do comes from it. Don't neglect it. Don't overlook it. Don't treat it in a haphazard manner. 
When Jackie shared with me her life verse, the verse that she'd chosen for her life to say, okay, this this will help keep me on track, she chose Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart. We even got her one year an iPod and had her name etched on the back, and we put under her name Proverbs 4.23. Again, a reminder to her. She'd already chosen. Now, I'm not sure she fully understood all the implications of what it meant to guard her heart. She was probably thinking more in the lines of, of, you know, romance and picking the right guy. And that's part of it. It's just not all of it. And so the question we want to ask this morning is, if it is so, so very, very important for me to guard my heart and for me to teach my kids to guard their hearts and to teach my grandkids to guard their hearts, what does that look like? How do we make this real other than just a statement? I want to I suggest three ways that we can make that real. First of all, be careful to whom or to what you give your affections. Be careful to whom or to what you give your affections. Let's focus on the first part of that. God made us with the ability to love and the need to be loved. God made us that way. That's why we connect with people and we we desire to be loved as well as to love them. And we're exposed constantly to to the definition of what this concept of love means. And and, and there's, there's all kinds of romance stuff that goes on. I mean, if you've ever been to a Barnes and Noble or a bookstore of some kind, there's a huge, huge, huge section of just romance novels. And you have to wonder, why, why this fascination with that? But it paints a picture of what romance is. And, of course, all you know, there, there's lots of, of movies that come out. They're kind of, I don't go see these things. I want to see you know, somebody beating somebody up when I go to a movie. But you know, they're always you know, huggy, kissy kind of girl chick flick things. And, 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 you know, and it's just, oh, these girls just swoon over it. And Nancy being a high school teacher, I got a chance to get exposed to some of that because I had to ride on a bus one time with them and they were watching The Notebook. And anyway, uh, this, this defines love. This is what love is to the world. We have these images. But what I see as a pastor, both in person and on social media like Facebook, is the collateral damage of chasing after that. I mean, th- this is the way it goes. Because remember, God, God made us to love and to be loved. But we feel that this need is something that is absolutely urgent. And we go pursue fulfilling that need. And, and let me just, I'll just bring it back. Some of you are familiar with Facebook. Facebook is a social media thing where people can put on whatever they're thinking, whatever they're feeling, whatever's going on in their lives. And sometimes it's a really good thing because you can figure it out and, and uh, you can tell exactly what's going on. Sometimes it's really bad. And when it gets really bad, it's when you see this person and you know this person and you become friends on Facebook with this person and they start talking about uh, my man or my girl or my love. And you're like, "Uh uh-oh, here it comes. Okay, so they're starting to to throw these words out. And then they'll they'll, they'll write to them, I'm up thinking about you. Well, they don't write it like that. They write it like this or like this. 
I'm up thinking about you. Or, it's been so long since I've seen my man. Nancy's never called me my man. (laughs) May not be manly enough, I don't know. But you, you, you see that, and then all of a sudden, the two people, they're just deeply in love. That, they have found their forever love. And then you give it a few days, maybe a week, and then little angry things start popping up. Now, they're not doing this on the phone. They're not even doing it via text message privately for the whole world to see you're following this thing. And so they're putting up there, why haven't you called me? And everybody's seeing it. And it just goes downhill from there, and then they start to get angry, and then, oh man, they're ranting and they're raving, and the next thing you know, that forever love seemed to have an expiration date. And then what do you hear? I'm moving on. And give it about a month. And now it's my man, my girl, my love, they're in love again. And this is endless cycle. And here's what's happened. We are made to love and to be loved. But as the old Mickey Gilly song said, we're looking for love in all the wrong places. And I end up seeing the collateral damage. Because sometimes those love relationships, they not only end in breakup, they end up end in, in heartache, they end in abuse, they end in pregnancy or disease. It's not good. It's no wonder when we when we that we need to to guard our affections, be careful to whom we give our affections. Now, you would think that Solomon, who gave such wise advice to his son to guard his heart, you'd have thought he'd have led by example. But he didn't. Let me just, let me just give you a little portion of 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. This, this tells a little bit about King Solomon, the, the dumbest wise man that has ever lived. Here we go. Begin with verse 1. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts away after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had, listen to this, 700 wives of royal birth, And 300 concubines and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his father David had been. And he followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord, and he did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done, and that actually goes on and on from that point. It gets worse. And here's what happens when you don't guard your heart, your affections when it comes to other people. 
you begin to invite other things in along with that person. Oh, I I know that they're not a Christian, but... uh, I, I know that they've got this bad habit, but... I know that they've been married four times... And they've been, you know, in jail six times. And they had this addiction problem. But that's okay. I can fix that. They don't actually say I can fix that. But once you talk to them, you realize that's what they think. They can actually fix that. Guard your hearts. Guard your affections. Be careful to whom you give your affections. It matters, folks. It matters. And that's what you want to teach your children. That's what you want to teach your grandchildren. Guard your hearts. Some of you have got young children. Little girls. And, 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 and you moms know the heartache of a breakup in the life of, that you've had yourself. You know how hard and traumatic that is? To go back to school and see that guy that you were dating last week, but you're not dating now. Or maybe you shrink it down to the little ones even because they get into it early these days. I mean, it's like, okay, if you don't have a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend by the time you're in kindergarten, what's wrong with you? I, 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 next thing you know, they're going to have Match.com for little ones. Okay, it's, it's pretty rough. But teaching your children, don't give your heart away because when you give your heart away, everything else follows. Guard your heart when it comes to your affections. Now, but pastor, you said to, to whom or to what you give your affections. Let's focus on the what. The second value here is to be mindful of the influence of media. Media. What, what do I mean by media? That's all the stuff that you and your children and your grandchildren have coming at them all the time. No matter what form of media, it can be print media, it can be TV, it can be movies, it can be the internet, uh, it, all kinds of things, commercials. These things come at them. And we tried, we understood some of that when we were young parents with small kids and so for a lot of what our kids got to watch on TV was just on, it wasn't on v, DVD yet. It was back on the VHS tapes. And, and a lot of what our kids watched were just the VHS tapes. And so we, we kind of raised them on that. And, and um, we'd record things like Barney the Dinosaur. And, you know, it's great because you get up in the morning and, you know, you're, you're, you get your kids and everything's working. I'm getting ready to go out to church and and there's Barney the dinosaur, you know, he's prancing around. And then you, you kind of go off to work and you come home for lunch and isn't that the same show? Because, I mean, they'll watch him over and 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 over again. You'd think they'd get tired of him after a while. So we try to limit it. You know, we exercise some level of control. But then we started letting them watch some commercial television as they became aware of other things, that there were, there were things that they could watch on TV. But when they started watching commercial television, I went into protective daddy mode. And so I would sit there with them, and when commercials come on, watch your children during commercials. 
They might be doing other things and tinkering around until the commercials come on. And here's that sugary cereal or this once-in-a-lifetime toy or whatever it is that comes on TV and they become absolutely mesmerized by that commercial. Folks who do this, who make commercials for kids know exactly what they're doing. And they, they just become fixated on it. And what's the next thing? I want or I need. So we understood that this was kind of the ploy. This is how things worked. And so what we tried to do was or, or we sit down and, and when a commercial would come on, I would get their attention and I'd say, okay, why are they showing you that commercial? And I trained my children to respond because they want to sell me something. That is precisely why they're showing you that commercial. It is not purely for entertainment, is to try to get you to buy something. Now, that, ha- that happens with kids, but we t- tend to grow out of it. Why do you think now on car commercials, once they show you the car, they have below it the website that you can go to for more information? Because they know once you've seen that thing, they got you. And you're going to go and you're going to check that car out. It's even got so, so, so much to the point. There's a Dodge commercial right now. Don't nobody get up and go buy one right now. There's a Dodge commercial. If you buy a 2014 Dodge Charger, or lease it, excuse me. If you lease one, you can go in and trade that in for the exact same model of 2015 and keep your same payment. In other words, you can perpetually be giving that car dealer money to drive a new car every year. Now, some of you are going, wow, can I really? If you want to pay for the rest of your life, yeah, you can. Okay, but here's the deal. They're trying to sell you something, and we tend to buy it. We tend to bite at the bait, and our affections start going towards things. So we not only to whom we give our hearts we need to be careful to what we give our hearts we were talking a little bit about this in bible study this morning and that is the concept of the american dream the concept of the american dream used to be i i have the ability and the freedom to work hard to achieve and to be the best i can be at what i'm called to do That was the American dream. You know what the American dream is made of now? Two things. Materialism and hedonism. What are materialism and hedonism? Materialism is I find my satisfaction in stuff. Hedonism is I find my satisfaction in pleasure. Now you can argue with me about this if you want to. The American dream has been redefined. It is now about stuff pleasure, and comfort. That's what they're selling. And that's why we, as adults, need to be aware that we're not buying everything they're selling. And then we teach our kids to guard their hearts against trying to get their satisfaction in stuff and in pleasure. This is a warning that after Proverbs 4.23 Solomon gives this warning. 
Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your graze directly before you and be careful. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or left. Keep your foot from evil. And here's the problem with that. This is our calling, what we're telling our kids, what we want our grandkids to know. Stay on the straight path, stay on the straight path, stay on the straight path. But the problem is there's a whole circus going on off the path that cries out to them and calls for their affections, that calls for their attention, that clamors to claim their hearts. And we need to teach our children to guard their hearts when it comes to people and when it comes to things. The third aspect of this is be careful of the influence of friends. We don't actually have to run surveys and bring in scientists for us to know that friends influence our attitudes and our actions. Let's go back to mom. Most of you have heard this. Well, if your friends go drop off a bridge, are you going to do it too? Actually, moms don't say that so much anymore because of bungee cords. But I heard it. Most of you heard it. And that just proves that we're influenced by our friends. Our friends get us to do things we might not normally do and to think think things and to say things we might not normally think. Why? Because we all want to belong to a tribe. We all want to fit in. We all want to connect. We all want to belong. And sometimes we do really dumb things and sometimes dangerous things in order to fit in, in order to belong. We're not immune to that. And I can assure you your children and your grandchildren are not immune to that. Let me ask you a couple questions. Do you know who your children's and your grandchildren's friends are. Do you know who they hang around with? Do you know whose house they go to after school? Do you know who their Facebook friends are or who they follow on Twitter? Parents, do you know what Snapchat is? You better find out. You've got to take responsibility. You've got to step up. If you're a parent or grandparent, you've got to step up. Because I'm telling you, this world is clamoring for your child or your grandchild's heart. Because they know if they get the heart, everything else flows from it. And so when they're young, you can control them. You can, you can put up gates and fences and, and you can cover all your plugs and, and, and lock all your cabinets and, and you just try to get as much as possible this self-contained, safe world for your child. But you can't leave them like that. At some point, you pull the covers off the plugs. At some point, you take the gate down in front of the kitchen. At some point, you have to let them out. You can't keep them pinned up all the time. And so, parents, let me give you one. This was, this was on my list of advice. 
And that is when they're young, control them. As they grow older, influence them. See a difference? When they're young, you contain them. But as they get older, you begin to teach them that there are consequences to their actions. You begin to teach them there's a reason I say yes to this and no to this. And you let them stumble and fall sometimes at you a little bit at the time. I mean, you know how this works. Don't jump on the bed. Don't jump on the bed. Don't jump on the bed. If you jump on the bed, you're going to fall off. You're going to get hurt. You walk out of the room. There they go again. And then all of a sudden, Okay. Now, you know what? You could have stopped that. You could have. All you had to do is put like one of those nets that they got around trampolines. Now put a net around the bed. Okay? You could have controlled that environment. But that's dumb. After a while, it's not about control. It's about influence. And so now you go, and there's little Junior, little Sally, laying on the floor, crying. They've got a scrape, rug burn on their forehead, and they're just crying. And you pick them up, and what do you say? I told you. <laughs> Let me recommend that after things have calmed down a little bit, you just have a simple conversation. Now they get the point. Now they understand. Okay. This is why I told you not to jump on the bed. I'm not telling you it'll fix it. I'm just telling you, you want to use those situations as they get older and as you start removing barriers, you want to use those situations to teach them and you hope and pray that they learn because one day you're going to put car keys in their hand. One day they're going to walk out from under your house and you're not going to be able to control. All you can do is pray that they've been influenced. When they're young, control them. As they get older, influence them. I like what James Dobson says. Give your children roots to grow and wings to fly. This is, uh, let, me, let me just give you, uh, here's a short list, okay? I can't get away without at least a little list. When you're trying to exert influence over your children, start early. Start early. Start letting the leash out as soon as they're able to let the leash out. When they're old enough, tell them why you say yes to some things, why you say no to others. Be consistent, as consistent as possible. Don't keep changing the rules on them. Model good behavior, model good habits, and model good friendships. Let me tell you what, if you want to teach your young daughter, your young son, what, how to have a relationship, model that relationship. You can't go out and just hook up with whoever you want to hook up with and expect that your children are going to have a good idea of what a relationship is supposed to look like. Model that relationship. Monitor their TV habits. Limit the TV. Get access to their computer, to their tablets, and their smartphones. Let's put it this way. You own it. Monitor it. Respect their privacy when they have earned the respect and not before. You need to have an open door policy in your house. There shouldn't be, you know, well, that's, that's, you know, Junior's room. We don't go in there. Go in there. Flip the mattress over. Look in the drawers. It's your house. They just live there. And they don't pay rent. 
Now, you said, well, that sounds so invasive, so authoritarian. I am telling you, above all else, guard your heart and guard their hearts. Because their life is going to be shaped by what's inside that heart. You need to know. If your children have Facebook accounts, you should have a Facebook account or their password so that you can see what they're doing. Follow them. You don't have to hire a private investigator. You can do this. It's really, it's not beyond your ability. You're the adult. Act like the adult. Your children don't need another friend. They need a mom or a dad. They need a grandma or a granddad. I don't know of any parent alive other than uh, the, uh, what was the Australian guy that got dabbed in the heart? What was his name? Steve, Steve, yeah. Steve what? Steve Irwin. Okay, he was a very entertaining guy. But other than Steve Irwin, I don't know anybody who would let their kids play with rattlesnakes and cobras, <laughs> alligators, whatever. Here, hey, I brought you something. It's poisonous. Have at it. Um, other than that, I don't know of anybody who would do that. Most of us parents, are, stay away from that. Stay away from that. Stay away from that. We need to do that with our friends. It may sound old-fashioned, archaic, but you need to know who your kids' friends are. And if you're uncomfortable with them, let the friend come to your house. Don't, don't let your child go to their house. There are no silver bullets. There are no magic formulas for raising godly children or godly grandchildren. It's just hard work. It requires constant focus, constant attention. It will bring constant heartache and constant joy. But if you don't guard their hearts, and if you aren't guarding your heart, then you're going to make that struggle infinitely harder. And I promise you, they and their children will reap what you have failed to sow. So take care of your heart. Guard it diligently. And teach the next generations to do the very same thing. Because here's the reality. Your life and the lives of your children and grandchildren are going to be a mirror of what's in their hearts. So you guard yours. And teach them to guard theirs. Before I close, I want to share with you the best defense. Okay? I say the best for last. Here is the best defense in guarding your heart. Give your heart to Jesus. Give your heart to Jesus. Jesus, we're told, there's a peace that God gives that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Give your hearts to Jesus. The most precious thing that you have, give it to him. And he will set up guard. Some of you may need to do that today. You may need to give your heart, your life, commit yourself to Christ. And if that's what you need to do today, don't let the day go by without it. Some of you need a church home, a place to connect, a place to belong. If this is where God's calling you, invest yourself here. Let us be your tribe. People who will encourage you and support you, be there for you.
Some of you may just need to come and pray. Some of what you heard today really struck a nerve, and, and, and you just say, hey, listen, there's some stuff I need to repent of. There's some stuff I need to leave at the altar today. There's some guilt that I've been carrying that I need to deal with today. I need to, I need to let it go. Maybe there's a lack of forgiveness because you look at your own relationships with your mom or your dad and you recognize, I've been carrying a lot of bitterness that needs to be dealt with. In other words, the Lord has something for you today if you'll respond to him. And now's your time to respond.